If you're standing, you can have a seat right where you're at. It's so powerful to get to worship together in these moments. And there's something happening that's so much more than the lyrics to a song being lifted up, that when we sing about Jesus, the name above all names, high and exalted in heaven, being the Lord of our lives, you're actually coming into alignment with the reason why you have breath today. That Jesus is the most beautiful name in all of the universe. And I want you to know that worship of God is not a section of our service that we do because we're a church in 2020. Worship is the reason why we exist. And there's something freeing that happens when you go, God, I'm not God. Jesus is. And I'm so glad to be a small part in the story that's not about me. And there's something so freeing that happens when you forget yourself and you leave yourself at the altar and say, Jesus, you're the one who's exalted. You're the one who's lifted up. You're the one who's mighty. And all of my worship goes to you today. ACC, that's why we exist. The fame and the glory of Jesus. And I believe you're gonna get freedom from whatever you're facing today, the moment you place him in his rightful place in your life. I don't know if you're afraid of what's coming next in the future. I don't know if you just lost your job. I don't know if you're in high school and just trying to navigate things right now. I don't know what season you're in. I don't know what you're facing, but I do know that we're all facing a lot. And you can look a lot of different spaces and places for the answers to your questions, but there's something powerful that happens when you just lay it all down and go, Jesus, you're my everything. And as I exalt you, you show me the way. Welcome to church. I'm so excited about what God is going to do today. And I just believe that this gathering is going to meet people right where you are, even if we are over six months into gathering together online. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Miles Fidel. And can we say a big welcome to the people who are joining us for the very first time online? Every week we welcome new people to our church and we wish we could hug you and give you a welcome right here at 323 Airport Road the way that we do when we're together in person, but it's been amazing to watch our church family grow, not just here in Auburn, Alabama, but all over the place. Welcome. You are a part of our faith family here, and in just a few weeks, we're going to be gathered together in person. Here's what I want to ask you. No matter where you live, if it is at all possible for you, would you make it a priority to be on Hamilton Road for Baptism Sunday on Sunday, September 27th, where... 50 people are going to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And some of us have gotten to hear some of the stories that are gonna be shared that day. Let me just say, that is a can't miss Sunday in the life of our church. We haven't been together in so long and our team's putting together the details of what that's gonna look like. I told you last week, I wanna tell you again, it's looking like two different gatherings that day. Probably one at 10 a.m., one at 5 p.m. It's at the end of September. It's the day after Auburn kicks off their football season. So really feel like we might have a few people in town who aren't normally in town and we will be prioritizing social distancing and encouraging you to wear masks like we always do. But let me just say this. That is a Sunday where no matter what you've been doing during this pandemic, you really need to make it a priority to gather with the people of God. I believe God's gonna do something so significant, so special on that day. And I believe increasingly from that Sunday, as we gather together in person right here at 323 Airport Road again, that's gonna be a Sunday that we look back on and go, God was doing something new and began it right then and right there. Now, in the weeks that follow, you're going to be getting a video from me with some very important information about how we're going to regather together right here in this building. And then our team's going to put together all the information on our website and through email that says, hey, 
Here's everything you need to know about how we're sanitizing the building, where we're gonna seat you, and how this is all going to work. But here's what I need you to know from me. This season that we're heading into, reopening our building, is not going to look the way that church looked at the beginning of 2020. We will still have a lot of people gathered together in homes. We will still have a lot of watch parties going on. We'll still have people gathered together all over the place online. So I wanna give you good news. We are not going to stop releasing our online gatherings every single Sunday the way we have been through this entire pandemic because we wanna prioritize wherever you are tuned in with us because you are the church and we're honored to have you join in with us during this season. And y'all all live in Auburn, so y'all are not that excited about it, but I can tell you there's some people watching me right now who are really excited about the fact that we're gonna continue to bring church right where you are. So stay tuned for those details. We're gonna go into our bringing time. This is a time where we worship God through the giving of tithes and offerings. It's such a powerful demonstration of worship. People have been asking me, what does ACC need right now? And I would just say participation. We need people to serve in facilitating community groups. We need you to join community groups. We need people to continue to sacrifice in giving gener generously. And you've been doing that every week. You can give on Venmo, you can give online, you can send checks right here to 323 Airport Road, Suite O. One of the things that I've enjoyed looking at on Venmo and through the mail that we get to this building is how many encouraging stories of people really far away and in unlikely places being tuned into what God is doing here. So continue to send those along as well. And I wanna tell you about another need. You know, I'm looking through two different camera lenses right now. This is a major need in the life of our church. If you have any experience navigating using a camera, our production team would really like it if you would go to our website and volunteer and make it known. Even if you don't even know how, but you're like, I'll learn how, if that's the main need in the life of our church. That is a major need moving forward because we believe God's gonna to continue to do something special and significant online. Josh, I've got a really intense message coming up, and so I honestly thought about just having you play through the entirety of the message. But then I've talked to keyboard players before, and they've told me, like, that's exhausting and, and so um, demoralizing when a pastor asks me to just play and play and play. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a short prayer, and I'm going to let you go, but you're going to come back in just a little while, because I'm not going to talk long today. It's going to be real, and it's going to be intense. And I didn't plan to include you in this moment, and that's probably why you're looking at me super nervously. So I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna open the word of God together. God, would you say whatever you wanna say to your people? Use me, say something through me. Say it the way you gave it to me as I opened your word. We love you, Lord. We trust you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you, my brother. We have been in a series called Fresh Wind, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit of God. It's a series that I'm never going to forget. Honestly, it was only supposed to be a few weeks long, and we've extended it because so many people have become empowered by learning who the Holy Spirit really is and what his priorities are. And we've been learning, not from me telling you new things, but from actually looking at the scriptures. One of the problems with people learning about the Holy Spirit is a lot of us learn from other people's experiences instead of going to the source and saying, God, what do you say about the Spirit of God, and how? does it impact my life on a daily basis? And so it's been amazing to open the scriptures. I want to encourage you to continue to do that. We got two more sermons in this series, one today and then one next Sunday, and then we'll jump into baptism Sunday. And I, I'm a little bit reverent in this moment because I'm preparing to preach a passage of scripture that I've waited a long, long time to preach. And I just know if the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe in a powerful way on what I'm saying right now, nothing meaningful is going to happen. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit breathes on something, he gives life. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. So when we say the Holy Spirit is bringing a fresh wind, that's more than a fleeting feeling. That is the breath of God on the inside of your soul. And if there's ever been a year where we need God to give us a fresh wind, it's 2020. And so I believe this series has arrived at just the right time, and we've learned all kinds of different things about the Holy Spirit. I highly encourage you, do not miss one week of this series. But as we've talked about fresh wind, it's all kind of been leading up to this moment where I want to give you my sermon title that goes hand in hand with fresh wind. Are you ready for the title? Are you ready for this? Part five of fresh wind is called fresh fire. Fresh fire. Could you look at somebody next to you and say fresh fire? Fresh fire. You get bonus points if you do not spit on them. Fresh fire. Now, I I do want to say, I know that there is a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I've not read that book. I've heard it's a good book. It's not really where I got this title. Uh, Those are words that are used over and over again to talk about the Holy Spirit of God. And even when I wrote down those words, fresh fire, I was like, oh man, there's going to be a lot of people wondering, where are you going to take this? Because fire symbolizes a lot of different things throughout the Bible. So when some of you hear fresh fire, you're already afraid because you may have grown up in a church that preached a fire and brimstone message about the flames of hell and you saw a play at your church growing up where it was like, uh, what was it called? Like heaven's gates, hell's flames. And it was like, really showed people going to hell and really showed people thinking they were going to heaven. I'm still scarred by this thing I got accidentally invited to in high school. And I'm not hating on you if you participated in that or still participating on that. I just would like to say, there's probably better ways to present that than that play. And so some of you are like, fire. I I don't know. I don't know about the whole fire thing. And then others of you, uh, maybe you come from more Pentecostal background. You're like, finally, we're going to talk about fire. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit this entire time. There's fire literally on our screen right now. We got to talk about fire because when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were filled with tongues of fire and we need tongues of fire to go out. Slow down. Others of you are like, no, I hope that's not the route that we're going down. There's a ton of explanation that needs to be provided for that. And then other places in the fire, in the Bible, it symbolizes sacrifice and it symbolizes passion and it symbolizes the presence of God, Moses and the burning bush. There's a lot of things you could be talking about when you say something like fresh fire, but the way we usually talk about it in 2020 is a symbol for emotional passion. When you talk to a believer and you say, hey, what was it like when you first met Jesus? They'll usually use the word fire to talk. I go, I was, I was so on fire for the Lord. Like I just, I felt his presence and I was just singing songs. I was just reading the word every day and I was loving on people. Like I was literally on fire. And the way we talk about it is like, there's this point where your fire kind of runs out and the flames end up drenched by life. And over time you spend your life as a Christian trying to recapture the fire that you once had. And of all of those definitions and all those different representations, I want to preach about the fire of God that burns on the inside of the life of a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And no doubt that includes passion. And no doubt that includes emotion. But we're not simply merely talking about emotion. We're talking about worship. And when worship happens to a holy God, sacrifice is always involved. You might want to write that down. When worship happens to a holy God, sacrifice is always involved. And so I'm going to make this sermon less about, we need a fresh fire, we need some energy from heaven, we need to have more zeal, we need to have more passion, we need to be louder. This sermon is going to be more about what does the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is seen as fire throughout the Bible, what does the Holy Spirit consume in our lives? And I believe the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit is going to fan into flame a new passion for God in our day. 
I believe that's gonna happen through this gathering right now, but here's the problem. For a fire to burn, something has to be consumed. And in 2020, I believe that something that God is trying to consume on the inside of our hearts as believers is called idols. Idols. Idolatry. And it's interesting because idolatry is so prevalent throughout the Old Testament, but in 2020, a lot of us have been exposed on the things we were worshiping without ever really realizing that we were worshiping them. Idols don't rise to the surface normally until things go bad. Like, you, you can hide what you're truly worshiping behind good circumstances for a long time. When things are easy, when things are comfortable, when things are going well, it's really to look like everybody else, and you're lifting up the name of Jesus, and you're super thankful for everything God's doing in your life. But when things start to become uncertain, and you get anxious, and the future's unclear, what gets exposed in your life is your heart. And all of a sudden, what starts to come to the surface is what you run to, what you look to, what you give glory to, what you make much of, what you give affection to. And it can stay hidden for a long, long time. But in 2020, as things have gotten uncertain, as things have gotten difficult, as sickness is rampant, as division is rampant, as everybody has an opinion about everything and things are becoming louder and more violent, I believe believers are running to the things that were always their God all along. And God's not exposing our idols in 2020 to torture us. God's exposing our idols because the Holy Spirit wants to burn with a fresh fire from within and burn away the very things that are keeping you from truly worshiping the God who sent his son to save you. Fresh fire's coming. But for fresh fire to come from heaven, there has to be a sacrifice and we gotta lay it all down. So when I talk about idols, we think about the Old Testament and we think about all these images of these gods and these totem poles that people would bow down to or these different, these different images that you, you go to in your head or golden uh, idols that people put up in their yard. That's not really what I have in mind. I have in mind the things that you and I look to instead of God. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about the history of humanity. This is so cool. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's what an idol is. It's the space where you and I look outside of God to go, give me worth, give me satisfaction, give me meaning, give me what I need to make it through this. And I believe in our day, God is doing something so special if we're only willing to hand over our idols. So here's what today is, church. Here's what today is for the few people gathered throughout 323 Airport Road. And here's what today is for you online. Today is a defining moment in the life of our church where we are literally going to draw a dividing line and say, choose this day whom you will serve. And this happens over and over again in the Old Testament where the people of God have risen up with idolatry and there's a leader who usually stands up and says, okay, we gotta make a decision. Are you gonna serve the gods of the other people or are you going to serve the one true God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery? This is a question that Moses asks at the end of Deuteronomy. It's a question that Joshua asks at the end of Joshua. And over and over again throughout Israel's history as they fall in and out of idolatry, there's these defining moments where a leader draws a line and goes, okay, our idols have been exposed. Things have not gone well. We have to decide who are we going to serve? Is it the Lord or is it something else? 
And I wanna ask that simple question of you today. Who is on the throne of your heart? Is it Jesus or is it someone else? Is it something else? And I'm not saying this to bother you. I'm not saying this to just merely convict you or step on your toes. I'm saying this because I believe the potential of what God could do in our church over the course of the next few years is off the charts. But the fire that is going to burn and how he is going to use our church is going to be dependent on worship. And for us to worship God in a holy and pleasing way, the idols have to burn. Now, there's one story in the Old Testament that shows this better than any other story. I've never preached this passage, and I feel like I've waited my whole life to do it. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up all over this room. Bible drill. Oh, wow. Bible's in the air everywhere. Bring your Bible to baptism. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Look at somebody next to you and say, fresh fire once again. Fresh Fire. It's just fun to say. Okay, 1 Kings 18. This is huge. I know you know all of your history about 1 Kings. I'm just going to remind us and get us all back on the same page. This is in the era of Israel's history where there's a lineage of kings that are either righteous or evil. It's after King David, and the line that will go from King David all, way, all the way to Jesus is marked by a lot of evil kings and very few righteous, godly kings. The most evil of all of those kings is a king named Ahab. And Ahab was so evil because it's not that he just ignored the things of God, it's that he promoted the prophets of other idols. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel. Somebody say Jezebel. Guys, if you're single, if you're dating, and that's her name, no. Like, it, 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 you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to consider it. Gotta be a name change before we take the next step, okay? God miraculously needs to change that girl's name for you to even move forward from here. No Jezebels, okay? Jezebel was the head of a bunch of different prophets of the gods Baal and Asherah. And when you read your Old Testament history, these are common gods of the people who are opposed to the Israelites. So imagine this. The king of Israel, Ahab, has married a girl who wants to promote the prophets of other gods. And she doesn't just want to promote the worship of her gods. She wants to persecute and chase down the prophets of the God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the main prophet at the time was a man named Elijah. And so what's happening during this period of history is the people are evil. The people are separated from God. Elijah actually decreed a three-year drought and said, God is not going to give our land any water until I say so because the idolatry has gotten so bad. Three years have passed by and God tells Elijah, it's time to go to Ahab and tell him that I'm about to drop rain on the land. But instead of Elijah just going to Ahab and delivering the message, Elijah decides to have a worship contest. So imagine this. You ever seen a matchup between two sides break out? This is the ultimate worship contest. Elijah calls for all of the prophets of the other gods to come meet him on the top of a mountain. And the king, Ahab, actually agrees to this. And Elijah's purpose is that when God sends rain on the land, he wants the people to know that it is the Lord who has done this, and it is the Lord who's worthy of their worship. We're actually going to start in verse 20. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. If you're there, say I'm there says this, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So Ahab sends word throughout 
all of Israel to gather up the prophets to Asherah and the prophets of Baal, which number about 850 at the time. They're all gathered together. So if you've ever been in this room at 323 Airport Road, you know this room seats, when we pack it out with a lot of people, between 850 and 1,000 people can slam into this room. Imagine the scene where there's one person against 850 and Elijah's like, invite them, get them all together and get them on top of a mountain and I'm gonna make this announcement. Look at this in verse 21. He says, how long will you waver? If you have ESV, it says limp. How long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. This is an undecided group of people. Elijah's going, listen, we're we're, going to end this back and forth, going with the gods of the world, going with the gods of our enemies, and going with the one true God. We're going to say it once and for all. If the Lord, if Yahweh is God, follow him totally. But if Baal is your God, follow him totally. We're not going to play this 50-50 game anymore. We're going to draw a line and say, who are you with? And the people say nothing. This is the climate of the people of God at this point in history. If I could say it in one word, I would call it undecided. They're split. And I bet that the the crowd was split even within them. I bet there were some people who wanted to shout back to Elijah and go, Yahweh, he's our God. Our God is, is El Shaddai. He's God Almighty, the God of Abraham. That's our God. I believe there were people in the crowd who were kind of undecided and just watching everybody else and like, well, let's just see what, where kind of the crowd lies and then we'll go with whatever the popular opinion is. And I do believe that there were many people who were like, Baal needs to win out today because that is the God that we want to serve. We are for those prophets and we're with them. The crowd's probably split and Elijah's drawing a line to say, okay, no more split. Either 100% that way or 100% that way. No more playing games. That's 2020. In the church of the United States of America, I believe that's 2020 for us. And what's so interesting is that for so long, there was the capacity for nominal churchgoers to sit side by side with spirit-filled believers. And what we talk about at our church so often is that there's no point in just coming to church every week to hear a nice message and calling yourself a cultural Christian just to hear a sermon and write that down as your chosen religion. No, no, no. It's all or nothing. It's I want to follow Jesus or I want to do life my own way. Because when you live life in between, the power of the Holy Spirit is not on your life. But here's the thing. Before this year, it was really easy for somebody who just wanted to follow Jesus in name and somebody who was really filled with the Holy Spirit to sit side by side. A lot of times in church, you wouldn't know the difference between one or the other because they look so similar. But here's what's happening in 2020. Churches had to go home and divisions are breaking out and sickness is breaking out and the economy is breaking down and an election is coming up and there's all these things happening. And here's what's happening. The division is exposing whose life is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and who is just playing games. And I don't say that lightly right now. There's a lot of people claiming what the Holy Spirit is doing in 2020. Like, well, the Holy Spirit is definitely doing this. The Holy Spirit is definitely doing that. No, when we make a claim about the Spirit of God, we need to make sure that claim is rooted in the Scriptures. We don't need to ever say that flippantly. we got everything we need to know about the Spirit of God right here. At the same time, we also need to know that the Holy Spirit has the capacity to do billions, if not trillions, of the same thing and different things simultaneously. So what the Holy Spirit is doing over in the Middle East right now, very different than what he's doing in Africa and what he's doing in America. But we as the people of God, I believe we get to observe on a large scale as we are reading our Bibles, what is God doing in the church right now and what has he called me to do? 
And if I could be so bold, I would say from the seat that I sit in, an observation that I've made in 2020 is that a line is being drawn. No more playing games. If you want Jesus, it's Jesus and nothing else. And if you want to go your own way and go the way of the world, just go fully and completely after that. Why would, why would Elijah want them to do that? Like, why would he rather them run 100% after Baal instead of splitting 50-50, 60-40 for the rest of their lives? You're going to see why in the next few verses. Here's what's going to happen. Elijah sets up a contest and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build two altars on the top of this mountain and each one of us is going to call on our God to pour down fire. And whichever God pours down fire on the sacrifice, that God is God. Do you want to go? And the prophets agree, the people agree, everybody's like, yeah, let's do this thing. And Elijah goes, great. Well, since there's so many of you guys, you guys go first. We're on your mountain. Mount Carmel was a a mountain for the worship of their gods. And so watch what happens. Go down to verse 25. It says this, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. The ultimate scene of biblical trash talk just went down. They're calling out on Baal. Now, if you don't know much about the God Baal, it's kind of like a bull-looking God that as Israel got increasingly more evil, they got so evil at one point in their history that they actually offered their children in fires to this God. This was considered to be a God of fertility. And so your offering to Baal would ultimately increase the chances that Baal was going to bless your life with fertility or with financial prosperity. And so in this moment, Elijah draws the line. He says, let's see who's God. You guys call on your God and they shout and they shout and they shout so much and get no response that they actually start cutting themselves and doing everything they can to get the attention of a God who does not exist. And the heartbreaking part about this verse, even though it's so funny to watch Elijah talk trash and go, hey, shout louder. Like maybe he's eating, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he needed to relieve himself. Maybe if you just do more, you can get the attention of your God. And that's funny to look at because our God is glorious and involved in our lives and not someone who's distant or just an image on a wall. But it's heartbreaking when you read the last part. There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is why God would rather have you run wholeheartedly after your idols than maintain a life of worship that holds on to the world and holds on to Jesus. Here's why. Because if you go wholeheartedly after your God in this world, you will get to empty a lot faster. You will arrive at brokenness a lot quicker. And you'll discover there's, there's no life in this. There's no purpose in this. There's no meaning in this. There's no answer here. There's no healing here. There's no satisfaction here. I can't get what I'm looking for from this. 
And so maybe I need to check myself. And this is not me saying, hey, you need to run wholeheartedly after the thing that you struggle with so that you can arrive at true worship of God. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying there are some of you today who your struggle in life is not just a sinful struggle that you're trying to kill. It is a worship issue. And the throne of your heart is occupied by someone and something other than Jesus. And God is going, I wanna give you fresh fire and I'm on the edge of doing it. I just need you to give up your idol. And maybe today your inspiration to do that is just knowing that idol is a terrible God. I don't know if it's money. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know if it's a habit. I don't know if it's sports, but I know that God has done so much this year to strip away things from our lives and provide a beaming light on everything in our life that's taking up our worship. And I want to tell you today it's empty. I want to tell you today it cannot give you what you are looking for. And here's what happens. Elijah takes that moment and goes, okay, are you guys done shouting to a God who does not exist? He builds an altar with 12 stones. Those 12 stones symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, and it reaches back to a story about the Israelites crossing over the Jordan River on dry ground when God said, take 12 stones from the middle so you can remember that I am the God who split seas on your behalf. I am the God who blessed your ancestors, and I'm still coming through for you today. Look at verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. The Lord is God. The Lord is the one who hears prayers and the Lord is the only one who responds from heaven when people call. And this isn't me today trying to just preach a convicting message to you about choosing between your idols and Jesus. This is me trying to convince you that the reason why you exist is the unaltered, unadulterated worship of the Lord, the only Lord who is God. His name is Jesus. You know what Elijah's name means? This is so ironic. And I only know this because it's the reason why we named our second daughter, Elliot. Elijah means the Lord is God. As I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, I'm reading through Exodus because I told you about how uh, we watched Prince of Egypt a little while ago and my wife cried when they were crossing the sea and set free from slavery. I was like, I want to read Exodus once again. It's interesting to me when I watch Moses and Pharaoh's dialogue back and forth because Pharaoh over and over and over again talks about the Lord. I don't know the Lord. And Moses is trying to convince Pharaoh and, and, and get him to soften his heart. And he's like, the Lord is God. The Lord. So when you read that in our English, you're like, yeah, of course the Lord is God. That means the same thing. But those are two very different words. They're distinguishing the God of Israel as the only one who has power and strength and authority and commands worship. And so Elijah is living out his purpose, his meaning in the world by being a voice that says, 
There is no other God but the Lord. Give your worship to the only one who is worthy. And God rains down fire and the prophets of Baal are killed and Israel serves God for the rest of their lives and they're still perfect to this day. No, not at all. It seems like that's the most happy ending ever. It's like God, God wins, the Lord wins. They just saw that he rained down fire from heaven to engulf the sacrifice that Elijah made. They killed off all the prophets. How could they ever go back to serving any other gods? What you'll find when you read the Old Testament is no matter how powerful God's external demonstrations go, it cannot turn the human heart without the Holy Spirit. And so God rains down fire from heaven and a chapter later, Elijah's running for his life feeling all alone, and the people are going to continue to serve other gods and idols. I bring this up right here and right now because I believe you and I are looking for a fresh fire from heaven, but you don't need a fresh fire to rain down from the sky today to know that the Holy Spirit is God. You need a fresh fire to burn from within your heart, and it's available. His name is Jesus, and he sent the Spirit to do it. I don't know if you caught this in verse 37. I'm gonna read it again. Here's what Elijah prayed. He said, answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know you, Lord, are God. You know why God exists? God exists for God. God exists for the glory of God. And so Elijah prays a prayer that aligns with God's purposes when he says, answer my prayer so that all of them will see that you are glorious. God's not answering this prayer to do a cool miracle so that people can go, ooh, cool, fire. God's answering this prayer so that all the people will know the one who did that is the only one who's worthy of your worship. It's all about the glory of God. But the glory of God has to be paired with a changed human heart from within. He says, so that they will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. No matter how many times God does a really cool external miracle, it does not flip the human heart. God burns fresh fire from within when the Holy Spirit awakens the life of a believer to be transformed from the inside out because of Jesus' victorious death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. This is the gospel message and so here's my dilemma today. I know I'm preaching a super serious message, super intense message, but it's all been sort of building to this moment. Josh, you can come back up here. Team, y'all can get ready because I promise I'm almost done. This is a short one and we're gonna get to the point really, really quick. I gotta hold your attention in this moment. My dilemma today is I want people to lay their idols on the altar and choose Jesus above all else because we are in an era of redemptive history where our church has been given an opportunity. I'm gonna talk about that in just one second but I want you to do it so bad. And I'm at the end of myself because I'm realizing that nothing that I say and no amount of words in my delivery can cause the spiritual renewal and revival that is needed for somebody personally to choose Jesus above all else. I need the Holy Spirit to turn your heart and make you desire God more than you desire him, her, that, or them. So I like waited my whole life to preach this passage and then I'm at the end and going, what am, what am I gonna tell them to do? Like, are we, are we gonna go youth camp and we're gonna put our stick in the fire and we're all, we're all gonna get around and write down like what we need to give up and burn it up? Like I, and I love that and I think it's powerful to do physical demonstrations of worship. But I'm at the end of myself going, God, if you don't do this in people, it's not going to happen. 
And so I want to ask you right now, even in the silence of your own heart, would you ask the Holy Spirit to do something supernatural right now? And it might not happen in this moment. It might happen when you least expect it. And if I'm going to lead out in telling you to pray a prayer like that and do something like that, I've got to tell you about my own life and my own heart. 2020 has been weird. It's been weird for everybody. Like I said, idols have been exposed. And I think all of us are just trying to recalibrate our brains around what in the world is happening and what is going to happen and where do I stand in all that. It's been weird for me personally as a leader because I found myself so often in moments of clarity and feeling like, okay, I know how to lead our people. I know how to lead our family. And I know, I, I sort of know where our church needs to go from here. And then I, I'm, I'm studying for this sermon and that sermon and preaching online every week and learning how to do that. But if I could get like beneath the surface of all those things that are seen and just tell you, in my heart of hearts spiritually, I've done a lot of going back and forth between the gods of this world and the God who we call Jesus. And I'm noticing that I'm in this like weird trance of like one moment being so captivated by what the world has to offer. And the very next moment, almost like, oh, wow, what was, what was that? Jesus, crystal clear. But it's been back and forth and it's been frustrating. And I only share that because as your pastor, I feel like if I share that, it creates the capacity for thousands of you in this moment to go, me too. It's weird. But this week, 1.30 in the morning, one night, I wake up from a dream, and I mean it's one of those where you go from fast asleep to eyes wide open, perfect clarity, God is speaking to me, I know exactly what he is saying, and I've got to get out of this room so I don't wake up my wife and get on my knees before the Lord. I probably did wake you up. I get up, and I knew, First Kings chapter 18, God was saying, choose this day serve. And the Holy Spirit did a work within my heart to expose some areas that the world had a hold on my soul. And I turned those things over to the Lord in prayer, but it wasn't because I was trying to get to God. It's because God got to me. And all of a sudden, everything that had captivated my attention and heart, it looked like the slime and sickness and death that it is. And Jesus looked like the gold mine of life that he really is. And I couldn't, I can't do that. I can't make myself snap out of it and just see him as worthy. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And so what am I going to say right now to make that happen for you? What am I going to do in this moment other than call on God from heaven to go, God, would you do something supernatural in our hearts and cause us to know what is it in us that's offended you? And what does it look like for us to lay it back down on the altar and go, God, burn this up and burn me up in the process and use me for your glory. I hope he does that. I know this is the most super unclear message I've ever preached because I'm like, would you ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what you're supposed to do? But maybe that's the problem with all this for so long is that we've asked other Christians to do the work for us instead of having a relationship with Jesus rooted in resurrection power from within. Worship is a response more than it's an initiative. Oh, that's so important. Worship is a response more than it is an initiative. You don't initiate worship. You respond to what God does. And so our whole lives are a grateful response to what Jesus has done. And I just believe if we learn worship, what is true worship? Jesus said the true worshipers will worship in what? 
spirit and truth. So there is emotion behind it. There is passion. There is a part of the fire from within when God burns a fresh fire in your life to where you're engulfed with a passion for loving God and loving people. You've been set free for that purpose. It's awesome. But there's truth to it. It exposes things that you've lied about. It goes to places that have just been in the back of your mind and goes, God wants to burn this away today. And I just believe that there's a group of people who would actually take me at this word today. We could see something in our day that's unlike anything we've ever seen before. I've been going back and forth this whole sermon about whether or not to finish with what I'm gonna say and I'm gonna say it. Of course I am. You're like, have you ever not? <laughs> Maybe once. And I was probably glad I did. God has positioned Auburn Community Church for something very unique. The church right now, especially in our country, is desperate for a voice of clarity to rise up among the voices of dissension and division that are on two, seem like two different sides politically, seem like they're on two different sides racially, seem like they're on two different sides of all these different issues, but it's really a spiritual division. It's a spiritual division between darkness and light. And I believe what our world needs in our day is a church to stand up and call out idols for what they are and just worship God with a passionate, unadulterated worship that the whole world needs to see. So things that are coming up as idols in the church this year, it's not that they just became weird in 2020. It's always been weird. We've just been able to ignore it underneath the mask of our prosperity. It's always been weird that predominantly white churches don't show much compassion for black people. Always been weird. Visible this year. It's always been weird that conservatives and liberals think Jesus is on their side. Always been weird. Very clear this year. It's always been weird that the average American Christian comes to church once every six weeks. It's always been weird that the average American Christian gives 0.1% of their income to their local church. It's always been weird that people who call themselves followers of Jesus don't read their Bible. It's always been weird that contemporary churches have drawn large crowds by ignoring very controversial issues that the church needs us to talk about and set people free based on the truth of the Bible. It's always been weird, now it's exposed, and here's what's great, the crowds are gone, everybody's gone home, and the church is kinda licking their wounds and going, what do we say about this, and what do we do about this, and are our people ever gonna come back? And I just believe that God's positioned ACC to stand in the middle of that and go, it stops here. Idolatry stops here. Stopping short stops here. This is who Jesus is. It doesn't have to be that complicated. We're not gonna spend the rest of 2020 talking about who's better, President Trump or Senator Biden. We're not gonna spend the rest of 2020 talking about, okay, how do we fix this issue and fix that issue? We're gonna spend the rest of this year and the rest of the breaths God has given us on planet Earth shining a beaming light on the only name who is worthy. And guess what? In the process, God does work on all those different areas. And in the process, God unites people who have been divided. In the process, families get restored. In the process, people get set free from bondage. In the process, drug addicts never have to go back. In the process, people who have been on pornography become the very people who are fighting against the new drug. That's what's gonna happen in our day, and that's what I'm believing for at ACC, and I, do, I don't believe it has to be us, but I was spending time in worship this week, and I was just like, why not? Like, if not us, who? And it's weird right now that I'd be saying this to like a few people in this room through a screen, 
But God has initiated these moments to shine a light on our idols and go, if I could just catch fire in your life and burn away these things that you are holding on to. And if we gotta be one against 850, that's okay. Because the one who's on our side is greater. He's the great I am. And so we're gonna sing my favorite song to sing in the life of our church. I was talking to our worship pastor, Matt Cole, about this. There's a lot of songs that we've sung over the years. But when I think about powerful moments of worship in the life of our church, I'm thinking worship night at the Red Barn. I'm thinking moments at Ham Wilson Arena. I'm thinking so many moments at the AU Hotel. I'm thinking about moments in this room. I'm thinking about moments outside, inside, 10 people, 1,000 people, whatever. There's this one song that every time we sing it, we get an elevated level of the presence of God. And it's called The Great I Am. And we sing about giving God the worship that he's worthy of. I hope you go to the place in your heart where you can discover what your idols are. But the fastest way to expose an idol, in my opinion, is to just start praising God. And when you start praising God, what'll happen is the spirit of God will start to highlight like, hey, here's what's holding you back from truly experiencing this moment the way you need to. And God's waiting to obliterate it because our God has already taken care of your idols on the cross. So we're gonna sing this song. Team, y'all can go ahead and come up here, come on. And in this moment, I want you to lift this up from your living room. I want you to lift this up by yourself. I want you to lift this up in this room. And we're going to worship on behalf of the future of our church and believe that the fame and glory of Jesus is going to become a staple of the move of God that's coming our way in year seven. Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you that Jesus offers forgiveness and grace to every single person listening to me right now. I pray for those of us who have been settling short of the life you died and rose for us to live, that no more, God, that you would fill us with a fresh fire from within and you would burn away every single thing that's holding us back from worshiping you wholeheartedly. God, I thank you for this moment. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on it. I cannot manufacture or maneuver any sort of source of life in this moment. You have to do that, so do it. If you need to call people to a certain place in your word, do it. If you need to wake them up in the middle of the night, do it. If you need to tear them away from a relationship, do it. If you need to make it so clear that you write it in their text message inbox right now, you do that, Lord. But don't leave me up here yelling and shouting things by myself. Don't leave me like the prophets of Baal who shouted out and had no response. Show yourself to be Yahweh. Show yourself to be the God of the Bible once again. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing together.